When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for another edition of the Blue White Breakdown Penn Lives Penn State Football Podcast. And today it's a special episode. We're focusing on Nittany Lions All-American Harrisburg great Micah Parsons and his path to the NFL draft. We're going to get into a lot about his time both with the Cougars, even before that, of course, at Penn State, and now one step away from Cleveland. I'm Greg Pickle, and we start things off with Brian Linder, Penn Live's high school sports editor, a man who knows maybe more about Micah Parsons than just about anybody here in the central PA area. Brian, let's start off with this. You came up here uh, to Pennsylvania and to Harrisburg. It kind of coincided, if I'm not mistaken, with Micah's sort of rise as a national recruit and as he got uh, sort of on the radar of a lot of big name teams, of course, Penn State being one of those. Let's go back to the first time you found out about this young uh, Harrisburg phenom at the time. What do you remember about that and kind of where he was when you first came across him way back when? Well, Greg, you know, I've, I've covered football in South Carolina. I've covered football in Florida. And I've never claimed to be a big X's and O's guys, right? You know, but one thing I, I've always said is, when you look at a field and you, when you look at guys and, and a guy that looks different, that's usually a guy that has a chance, right? So when I got here uh, to Penn Live, I started looking at the athletes uh, around our area and watching some huddle films and stuff and, you know, uh, looking at who was expected to be a, a high rank recruit and stuff like that. And I came across Micah, and one of the first things I saw from Micah was I pulled up on Twitter where he went to a rivals camp. And, uh, you know, here's a kid who was 6'2", 6'3", at the time. He was a sophomore, I believe, probably 220, 225 pounds. And he was lining up at this rivals camp and covering three- and four-star wide receivers and running with them. And I remember I came back and I told my guys, I said, guys, tell me about this Michael Parsons kid. And we talked a little bit and I said, guys, listen, this kid is different. You know, you don't see guys at that size, at that age, doing those type of things. So that's really the first time that, that Micah Parsons really jumped off the page to me. And uh, I knew from then on that we, we had a guy that was, again, I saw A.J. Green play in high school, and, and um, he was amazing. And Alshon Jeffrey and a lot of good players, I knew this guy was different and special. And I think a lot of people, as he went out to more camps and he went out to, uh, you know, uh, he went, moved on to Harrisburg from Central Dolphin, I think a lot of people started to pick up on that this guy just did things a little bit differently, just like you're talking about. But are there any plays from his time in high school, Brian, or any moments from his time in high school? Obviously, one moment that is being talked about from then is when Kyle Pitts actually dumped him, the Florida tight end, a uh, fellow likely first-round pick, of course, in the uh, 2016 title game. But for Micah, he had plenty of those moments as well against guys who um, really may have been the best player on their team, were certainly probably part of Penn Live's all-star teams, and maybe even earned all-state selections. And he just made a lot of guys look 
maybe not quite at that level. He was different really from a young age and all the way back to his time at Central Offense. Yeah, you know, one one that jumps out to me is that District 3 title game. It was actually a play that got called back. It was a sweep. Micah Parsons took a sweep against Mannheim Central. He hit the corner, and he went 75 yards and just ran away from everyone. And at that time, now we're talking about a legitimate 230-pound kid. He was actually a little chunkier in high school than he even looks now at 250 pounds. Uh, and, and, and just to be able to run away from guys like that at that, in that level of a game, Again, you know, that just shows that, that that's a different guy, right? And so that's one of those things. And, and, you know, there were a couple other things that really became sort of wild factors for me with Micah Parsons. First of all, I'll say this. I never saw Micah Parsons in high school go down and stay down. The kid was never hurt. It's actually something that I talked to a Penn State coach about last year when he was talking about, you know, him playing 86 plays in the Cotton Bowl. Um, the kid – played everything too i mean for harrisburg greg he would he would kick off and he would he would send kickoffs into the end zone and turn around and return a kickoff 80 yards for a touchdown he punted uh he played running back um i i legitimately believe that michael parsons could play running back in the nfl and i think he he told someone in, in, in an interview that he could be derrick henry <laughs> maybe so I, I i don't doubt anything with this guy after everything i've seen from him again like i've seen some amazing NFL level guys and guys that are in the league. And I've seen very few, maybe none that could do what Micah Parsons does. You wrote the story that broke Micah Parsons recommitment to Penn state uh, back in 2018. I believe it was when he was an early enrollee uh, helped produce that video. And then you also sat down with Micah for a long interview recently at Penn live studios. that uh, was a part of the package we released uh, last week prior to the draft. You can read that story free to everyone at penlivecom slash Penn state football. And there's a lot to get into with that, obviously, Brian, but one of the things he talked about a lot was, you know, and I think people forget about this. Micah Parsons is the super athlete, the possible first round pick, the all American. But to me, this guy is as fascinating off the field as he is on it. He has such a close relationship with especially his mother. And he's a guy who I know he told you that he taught himself how to play chess so he could beat LeVar Arrington. I mean, this is a guy who is more than just a football player. He's more than just one of the freakiest athletes I think both of us has ever seen. And I feel like that's really come through uh, over the course of the last year, even when, you know, he wasn't a part of the Penn State football program. He opted out because of his son, Malcolm. And back when you wrote that story and broke that story, he talked a lot about what his son and his family meant. And this isn't a guy that's just football, football, football. And I think that's important for people to realize. He, he really he really has an underrated intelligence. I, I don't think people realize the intelligence with which he works and, and and operates with. I mean, again, I'm 38 years old. I don't know a thing about chess, and I would imagine it would take me a great deal of time to teach myself chess to where I could beat someone who has been playing chess, uh, but he did it. And, um, you know, when you talk to so many people, and haven't seen it in person, but when you talk to so many people who have coached him and played with him, he is a competitor. And so I have no doubt that him opting out not playing really bothered him. And and I truly believe that there was a point where he was trying to figure out if he could come back. Um, you know, and, and I don't have that on the record for him, but I know Micah Parsons and, and I know who he is and I know he wanted to play. So unfortunate he lost that, that COVID year, uh, you know, because I really think he's going to have a great year. But this is a kid who's 
again, like you said, not just a football player. He's a smart, intelligent kid. He's a loyal kid. Uh, you know, he, he took us back to his hometown before this NFL draft to, to his street he grew up on. He took us there before the commitment video. Um, and, and not loyal in a way that he can't necessarily shake off the elements from, from uptown Harrisburg that you don't need to be involved with but loyal in the way that he can embrace the great elements that we were able to witness and, and try to help bring those up. I think uh, his mom talked about him always saying he wanted to give hands up, not, not hands out. And by that, I mean, he just wants to lift up the area. So there's, there's a big part of his personality in, in his mindset and his intelligence that I think people miss because of his brilliance on the athletic field, but it's, it's there. And I think that's special too. Where are you at in the conversation of where this guy is in relation to his ceiling? A lot of people will say he hasn't even scratched the surface yet. Obviously, like you mentioned, if a third year at Penn State would have happened, I think that what we could have seen him do would have been pretty special, but that wasn't in the cards. But this is a guy who's going to go to an NFL team that's probably looking to reshape its defense and make him the face of it. And let's be honest, he changed positions when he got to Penn State. We'll talk about that a good bit in the second half of this show. But he's still learning, I think, all of the finer points of how to be a linebacker. But from year one to year two there, he learned how to be instinctual at that position, just like he was at defensive end and as kick returner and running back and everything else in high school. So based on what you've seen from him as he's grown up, Brian, where is his ceiling? What is his potential and how close is he to it? It seems like he has a lot more to go and a lot uh, more to strive for, uh, even though what he's done so far has been pretty incredible. Yeah, I think that is the exciting thing about him. If, if I'm in a you know a draft room, I think that's the incredibly exciting thing about him because I saw one website that had him ranked as like the third best inside linebacker. And I'm like, okay, if he's the third best anything in this draft, then we're about to have an amazing draft. And like you said, this kid played defensive end almost exclusively in his time at Harrisburg. And I covered Daquan Bowers in high school. He was the number one pick and uh, number one recruit in the nation one in Nagurski at Clemson. This kid was a better defensive end than Daquan Bowers. So I don't think you're seeing that pass rush ability yet there. And when Penn State took him and put him in the middle, I was I was like, huh, I don't know about that. Well, he took right to it because, again, I've never seen Micah Parsons be bad in anything, you know, um, any sport he, or any position. Um, he filled right in, and, uh, and he was an All-American. And, again, he's been doing that for a season and a half two seasons full time as a starter and uh you got an all-american so i think you got to be tremendously excited about what you get two more years from now with him playing that position you're listening to the blue white breakdown podcast pen lives penn state podcast you can find it wherever you get your audio apple stitcher spotify google or wherever else you find podcasts you'll find us don't forget to like rate and subscribe brian let's wrap it up with this when you look back over your years of covering Micah and following his journey from, uh, you know, the start of his high school career, really, to the finish of his college career, what is the one thing that sums it all up that maybe a listener doesn't know or wouldn't think of when it comes to Micah Parsons? I think, again, he's a loyal kid. I mean, every coach you talk to and, and talk about Micah with, you know, he keeps coming back. He does, he's not forgotten his roots. It's very easy, I think, for some of these kids to 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 get to the big time and, and not and not necessarily remember where they're from. 
And, and, and Micah has done that. And Micah has, you know, Micah told us when he came in that studio, you know, football is my way to connect with the world, but I'm here for something bigger than football. And you really get the sense. I, I've called this kid like the Bo Jackson of Harrisburg, again, because he was good at everything. He's such a special athlete, and he's not all locked in on himself. He wants to try to use this platform to do something great and to really potentially change an area. And I think he's doing it. And and so a lot of people are going to look at him as an athlete, and a lot of people said – He's a good football player, and they talk they talk about him just in the vein of football. But what he's doing off the field has a chance to be really special as well. And, and I think that complete makeup is why any question you know any question of character I think is is, is a little bit silly because I've I've covered guys who've gone to the league who uh, you know I won't call names but had a lot bigger char- character questions in my mind probably than this kid does. Um, so. That's what I would say, Greg. I think he's a loyal kid. I think he's a good kid with a good heart and underrated intelligence. All right. Well, like we said, you can read Brian's story, a big takeout on Micah Parsons. It's going to be in the Sunday Patriot News the weekend before the draft. It's also now on Penn Live. Again, free to everyone. PennLive.com slash Penn State Football. You'll find it there. Brian, thank you for joining us. It's Brian Linder, Penn Live's high school sports editor, and the man who has, like we said, talked and written more about Micah Parsons than just about anyone. So thank you for joining us. When we come back, we'll bring Bob Flounders in. He'll talk a lot about Penn State and Micah Parsons, what all of that meant. But first, we have a sponsored message from Brandon Short. I'm Brandon Short, All-American linebacker, current member of Penn State's board, and two-time captain of your Nittany Lions. I'm running for re-election to Penn State's board. I come from a tough background, and a Penn State education changed my life. I had an NFL career, earned an MBA from Columbia, and I'm now in finance. Penn Staters have a lot of pride in athletics. There are wide-ranging benefits from success in athletics, increasing academic standards, supporting 850 student-athletes, and boosting the local economy. The current athletic budget is self-funding and is independent from the university, so investments have no impact on tuition or employees' salaries. Yet, over the past decade, Michigan and Ohio State have outspent Penn State by $246 million and $390 million, respectively. Some candidates in this election want to de-emphasize athletics, making this gap wider. We must invest not for more touchdowns, but to benefit the local economy and enhance the entire university. If you agree, vote for Brandon Short, Steve Wagman, and Alvin DeLevy so together we can invest in Penn State's future. To vote, go to the link in the podcast show notes now. Thank you. All right. I see the red light flashing on my computer. That means only one thing. We are getting ready to do yet another blue-white breakdown podcast Penn Live's Penn State football podcast I'm Bob Flounders joined by Greg Pickle yeah this is just going to be all I mean pretty much all about Micah Parsons uh Penn State's all-American linebacker hasn't played since 2019 opted out of the 2020 season to get ready for the 2021 draft and you know all that hard work uh you know it's 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 about to pay off for Micah we're less than two, as we tape this on a Wednesday, we're, I think, eight days away. I think the NFL draft starts on a Thursday. So we're about eight days away from the first round of the NFL draft. And, and he's going in the first round unless something really strange happens. But, you know, a couple of years ago, 
we did something on Saquon Barkley, just kind of looking back at his career at Penn State. I think it was you and I, and I think David Jones kind of weighed in. And I, th- I think I think we, we needed to do something just on Micah, uh, the Harrisburg High kid, Central Dauphin High School kid. Um, we just did a big series on him on Penn Live. I thought that turned out very well. Um, a lot, a lot of people I know contributed to that, Greg, <laughs> you included. But uh, I just think at this at this point we can't talk enough about Micah Parsons, what he what he did on the field, Greg, for two years at Penn State, very brief career, but um, he's going to be a first round pick. Uh, Penn State's first since Saquon Barkley. Um, Penn State actually has a chance to have two guys go in the first round. Jason Oway, we'll get to that another podcast. But Greg, what a you know, I know you've done a lot with Micah in, in the last two weeks, but what's what when you think about Micah's time at Penn State, and it was very brief, what's the first thing that kind of just kind of flashes in your mind? Is it is it a game? Is it his personality? Is it just just what was it his recruitment? What jumps out to you about Micah? Yeah, to me, I think you can't start his story at Penn State without the recruitment because it was obviously, as James Franklin called it, and you pointed out not too long ago, a roller coaster. It was up and down. It was committed to Penn State, then decommitted to Penn State. And if you read a lot of the stories that our Brian Linder and some others have done throughout the course of his years, both as a high school recruit and in college, I mean, basically the decommitment at Penn State, it was in part because his father, Terrence, wasn't involved with the commitment process at Penn State, and he wanted him to see some other things. And he has said since that James Franklin and, the, and Brent Pry and the staff really um, did a wonderful job after that point of recruiting the whole family and making sure they got this Harrisburg five-star back in the fold. Obviously, he went out to Ohio State at one point, and they looked like to be a they looked like they were going to be a front runner. And things happened out there that didn't end up being the case. But yeah, I mean. From start to finish, Penn State had to fight for this one, and then they had yeah. to come to a new position. So to me, Bob, it will always stand out the fact that he came to Penn State after this, this crazy kind of journey and learned a new position, led the Lions in tackles without starting a game. That really told you just how good he was going to be and really foreshadowed his All-American sophomore season. Good point, Greg. And one, one thing I think that Penn State, especially when it comes to defense – doesn't get enough credit for. Um, yeah, they, they've they had some issues in recent years with big plays and the passing game, but that's just the way of the world, I think, uh, when it comes to college football and the spread and offense. But I, I think you have to give James Franklin, Brent Pry, and their staff a lot of credit for. They know where to slot players, even if it means moving them to a new position right out of the chute. You know, 2000, 2014, um, you were just a pup then, Greg. You were just a pup. I was still pretty long in the tooth. They moved a part-time defensive end named Anthony Zettel to three-technique uh, defensive tackle. Not only did the move pay off, Greg, but he was a first-team All-Big Ten player right out of the shoot. And it, there's been example and example and example of them kind of moving guys around. They've even moved offensive players to the defensive side to help out maybe at safety. Um, But they're always tinkering. And I think they're always trying to make the team better, but also they have the best interests, I think of the player uh, in mind as well. Maybe how it translates to them being a good player, maybe giving them a chance on the next level. But Greg, I know that we didn't get to see a lot of Micah in high school, but he was such a, he played like nine different positions and he was good at all of them, but he was just a dominant force, Greg. 
as a, I think he was a stand-up defensive end. I don't know if he played with his hand on the ground at Harrisburg, but just a dominant player, you know, coming off the edge. And, and I thought it was pretty gutsy by Penn State to say, well, we're going we're gonna to teach you a new position and one really that you ha- you're not that familiar with. Greg, he, he enrolled in January of 2019, the five star, one of the three five stars in the 2018 class. They put him in the middle right away and they moved him again I think before the start of spring to the weak side but uh that's a lot of moving around Greg for a young player who's really never played the position ultimately you can't argue at, at all with the decision the guy the guys you know the top linebacker available in the NFL draft but that that was a pretty gutsy decision by Brent Pry and James Franklin I give him a lot of credit for that Yeah, I do too, Bob. Clearly they saw something there. And I mean, the first year, it was obvious at times that it's not that he was guessing so much, but he was learning on the fly. I mean, he was was able to overcome some of the things he hadn't learned yet or hadn't developed instincts for at the linebacker position just because he was so athletic. I mean, there were times when he'd be in the middle of the field, Bob, and all of a sudden he'd tackle a guy over toward the sideline. You would just say to yourself – there's not many guys in college football who could cover that ground to do that, even though maybe it was when they looked at the film where he should have been in the first place. So he was able to overcome that. And then as a sophomore, you really yeah. saw so much more of that natural ability coming out on an even bigger scale because he had the instincts to play. And he's still learning some of that and he'll learn some yeah. of that in the NFL still. But the fact that this guy can rush off the edge, he can cover in space, excuse me, in cover in space. He can uh, cover guys down the field. He can come up in the box and hit people against the run. I mean, whoever drafts him is going to get a guy that can do just a little bit of everything. And that's what made it interesting. And I know maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but when we were making our picks for where he's most likely to go, you know, the middle part of the first round in a way, especially the middle part, the top, the middle part of the top half of the first round, there's a lot of teams that need a lot of help, Bob, and they could go a number of different directions. Maybe that leads him to fall some. Maybe it doesn't. We'll see. But whoever gets him is going to get a guy who, as James Franklin can say, can defend 53 and a third, and he can do it um, You know, pretty much wherever you want to line him up, inside, outside, or on the edge. Yeah, um, and it was fun, I think, as his true, true freshman year, that 2018 season. For me, it was fun watching the light come on for Micah, and it really started to do that the second half of the year. You and I were at Rutgers. The game itself wasn't very compelling. I think Penn State won the game 20 to 7 or something like that uh, in Piscataway. But that was when he, I really thought uh, he first really started to become dominant at the linebacker position. He was disruptive. They used him on the blitz. I think he had a sack and a forced fumble, a bunch of tackles. And again, not really starting, or he might have started that game. But, to, you know, he, he was actually behind Koa Farmer. Uh, I think Koa would start the game and Micah would play a lot. I believe it was Koa. Um, but to, to have that many tackles and not really be classified as a starter is something. And then in the Citrus Bowl, a game that Penn State lost to Kentucky, uh, he had a career high in tackles. I think it was 14. I think he had a couple tackles for loss. Um, it, it, it just seemed to me that he was starting the second half of the season starting to figure it out. And I think that carried over into 2019 when he, I thought he played his best football, you know, the last four or five games of that season, even in a couple of losses at Ohio State and at Minnesota, he was very productive. I think we all 
I think every Penn State fan probably associates Micah with the Cotton Bowl in Memphis when he, he he literally he was the best player on the field. And if Penn State didn't have him, they still gave up 38 points. If he wasn't on the field, Greg, they might have given up 60. He he saved them in the red zone. He squashed Memphis a couple of times on third down and forced them into long field goals, which they made. Um, he made the play of the game. Uh, he forced, I think his name was Brady White, the Memphis quarterback, into a bad decision. It was, I don't know if it was a forced fumble or an interception technically, but the ball just kind of creamed into the air. And I think it was Garrett Taylor uh, scooped it up, returned it for a touchdown. And that really broke up in the game uh, for Penn State. He was the player of the game. And r- right then, I think we all kind of knew not only was this guy, he had already been named first team all Amer- uh, first team all Big Ten. Not only was this guy going to be a difference maker in the NFL but he was going to be a first round pick whenever he he did come out for the draft but I think we I think we just got to can you believe what could you believe what you were seeing in that Memphis game where one player it was really like Micah against the Memphis offense at some times because Penn State's defense just was not good probably for the first three quarters in that game yeah you're right Bob I mean he just took over he said we're not basically decided that Penn State was not going to lose that game because of the defense and you're right uh, there were a few times where, I mean, he forced them into long field goals and they made them. That's their job to make them. But they could have been certainly shorter field goals. And they also probably could have been, uh, you know, drives and continued to touchdown. So, yeah, yeah, there's no question he took over that game. And that's what makes the fact that he felt uh, like opting out was the best decision for him, his son, his family, his career, his future. Um, such a bummer because you can only imagine what this guy who – went from not starting as a freshman to consensus All-American as a sophomore, would have been able to do with uh, another season under his belt, another year. And, you know, he's kind of made clear in a number of different interviews now that it seems like if the Big Ten wouldn't have kind of went about things the way it did, he I don't yeah. know if he would have opted out. But their uncertainty, his desire to secure his future, basically, especially for his son, Malcolm, that was a big part of this. And his mom, Sharice, his dad, Terrence, I mean, all the, the Terrence, all the family members, I mean, to do all that kind of, you know, put that stuff um, to the forefront and. You know, the Big Ten, I think, has much to do in the way they went about things. And we've we've discussed endlessly how clunky that was, but that had as much to do with it as anything. But, you know, we missed a chance to see a consensus All-American play one more season in blue and white, which was a bummer. And let's be honest, if Micah Parsons is on the field, this has been talked about a lot. But if he's on the field, I don't know how much better Penn State is, but they're probably not 0-5. And. I, I just have a strange feeling that Michael Penix may not have been close enough to get a controversial <laughs> ruling at the goal line in right. Indiana in week one. And who knows how that could have changed things. Yeah. I, I think they're not beating Ohio state just because Ohio state had too much firepower, but they're going to, they're going to beat Indiana because of his presence. They're definitely going to beat Nebraska. I think that Iowa game, you know, in the fourth quarter, I, I think Penn state would have been right there with them. That's three games that they lost. I think they could easily have won. I still, I'm still scratching my head about that Maryland game. That was just the way that Maryland jumped on Penn State. I, I, I just that that one. I, I don't know. But instead of instead of four and five, you're talking about maybe seven and two, legitimately. And you're definitely in the Ohio State in the Maryland games. He's he was that impactful of a player. We we don't want to belabor the point too much though. But his versatility and his athleticism, I I, I do think James is right. He, he could do so many things, um, and Penn State had him just focus on getting better at linebacker. But I think 
I think he's he's mature physically now. I think he's grown up a little off the field. And I think at the next level, I everyone just everyone wants to just pigeon him, pigeonhole him as just a, a, a classic off the ball linebacker. I don't know if that's accurate. I, I really think that Micah could do so many things. I think he can play with his hand on the ground. I think he can almost be a three, four outside linebacker. I don't know. He could play a lot of different positions, I think, in the front seven. He's probably going to add a little bit of weight. He was 246, I think, at his pro day. He still ran sub 4-4. I mean, I could see him being a very effective player, maybe in the low 250s. I just don't know somebody moving that fast at that size. I mean, he he has a chance to be just as special, I think, on the NFL level. I'll close with this, Greg. I've been covering Penn State since the 2002 season. In my mind, there's like four players I've seen that were game changers or difference makers, and they could do it on any given play. Just four. Two on offense, two on defense. Obviously, Saquon Barkley is one of them. Uh, Penn State had a running back, Larry Johnson, in 2002, who ran for more than 2,000 2000 yards. That season, he was just unbelievable. That it, it, it did translate to the NFL level. I think he led the league in rushing one year, but every play Larry Johnson touched the ball in 2002, I thought he could have scored a touchdown. It didn't always work out that way. Two defensive players, obviously Mike is one of them, and Tom Bahali, who was one of the players on the 2005 team that was a first-round pick of the Chiefs. He was a game wrecker off the edge, had a huge play in that 2005 win against Ohio State. I put Micah in the class of those four game wreckers, game changers. Um, they don't, they don't, uh, you don't see them all the time. It's they're very rare players. I think he is in that class. I'm looking forward to seeing him. Maybe I hope he goes to a team that could really understand what they have in him and not just go to a team that puts him at one position and takes him a little while to get going. But I'm excited to see what he can do. I really do think we haven't seen the best of him. And he's just been a really interesting player, not only to watch, but to cover. He was a really, really interesting interview. I know you've talked to him a couple of times. You know, Penn State players typically – you kind of know what you're going to get from them after games or maybe in sit-down interviews. They're, they're very – I mean, they, they, they're coached up a little bit. They say all the right things. Micah did that too, Greg, but he also had quite a sense of humor, and I think he kind of enjoyed the give and take of, of kind of uh, the sit-down with the press. Like, I don't – there were a lot of times I didn't think he wanted to leave, but I really enjoyed actually talking to him after games. Yeah, Bob, you nailed it. I mean, an extremely smart guy on and off the field – uh, when uh, I sat in on the interview he did with uh, Penn Live's Brian Linder prior to the big package we rolled out recently, and one of the things he talked about was he wasn't happy that LeVar Arrington kept kicking his butt in chess because he was spent so much time with LeVar out in California uh, during his training out there for pro day and everything like that. So he basically taught it, downloaded a couple of apps on his phone and taught himself how to play chess. And it didn't take long for the games to become competitive, and then he earned his first win. So, yeah, this is a guy that is obviously, again, extremely intelligent on and off the field, extremely athletic on it, and is going to give somebody a big, uh, you know, a big boost to their defense. And again, to your point, it's not just the the things that we know he can do; it's the things that we have not yet had the chance to see him do that he's picked up over the course of the last year while training just to be a pro football player. You can only imagine how much that is going to help him once he gets on the field. Could there be some growing pains because he sat out for a season? Sure. And I think that, you know, that's going to be accepted, but yeah, ultimately I think you, me, will both look forward to watching him on Sundays, no matter where he ends up. 
Sounds good. All right. That is our special blue white breakdown on the career of the one and only Micah Parsons. Harrisburg's one of the great athletes to come out of Harrisburg. It was a pleasure uh, watching him, uh, listening to him, just uh, and looking forward to him the next maybe 10 years of his football career. I'm Bob Flanders. He's Greg Pickle. And that's it on Micah.